0: Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Continuing forward in Acts chapter 18. This week we'll be focusing on verses 5 through 8. The title of the sermon is Hand to the Plow. I'll be reading from verse 1 through to verse 17. Please listen carefully because this is God's holy and infallible Word. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. for By occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit, and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and he said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justus, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If we're a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. And thus ends the reading of God's word. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Brothers and sisters, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as those who have been born-again from above, we are called, are we not, to a life of service and love toward God and others, and that we would be walking by God's grace and spirit, learning more and more how to live out the specific path that he has carved out for each one of us. We have these general things in common, but we each have a path that he has carved out for us, a a row to hoe, if you will. And Jesus spoke of this idea using the metaphor of a farmer plowing a field. We looked at that when we went through the book of Luke. And I'll go back to that again. Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. It seems as I was pondering this text that this It could have been an easy time for Paul to finish up and head back to Antioch. He's had a refreshing time. He's been free of the great difficulties of engaging with the Jews. But he doesn't do it. You know, in today's text, we see Paul, don't we, with his hand to the plow after his time of refreshing. He moves actively back into his mission. And it's really, as as we will see, it's back into the thick of the battle. I hope that we will all learn from him in this regard today to see the calling that is before us to keep our hand to the plow. And it's easy, especially after times of refreshing, to not want to get back into the work. But we see Paul moving back into the full-time work. We see him testifying in different ways that he did before. We'll go through the text and we'll see uh, Silas and Timothy arriving uh, in Corinth from Macedonia And we'll go through the details there and kind of think through where they were and what was going on. And then Paul's going to testify to the Jews about Jesus. And we'll see this idea of testifying is is really different than what he had been doing, reasoning with them in the synagogues. And then Paul forsakes the blaspheming Jews. He forsakes them, he leaves them to their own sin, and he goes to the Gentiles. We'll learn from this as well. We'll see God blessing Paul with these providences that he finds a a friend, a Gentile who's a God-fearer, who brings him into his home, and he has an opportunity to preach from that location right next to the synagogue. And we see the fruits of this, the power of God displayed as the Holy Spirit is anointing his preaching, that Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, and many Corinthians come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as usual, we'll see some questions and some considerations for how we can apply these truths to our own lives today. So first of all, Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. The text says, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia. So let's take a look at this and consider their travels. First, about Timothy. We need to see from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, That Paul and Timothy and Silas were actually together, the three of them, in Athens at one point in time. And we haven't seen that yet in the book of Acts. But it is true. All three of them were together. And Timothy was sent back to Thessalonica from Athens. We know from 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2. from, from, From Athens to Thessalonica and that Paul and Silas were then left alone the two of them in Athens. The trio being present together in Athens doesn't it fit with the command that we saw for Silas and Timothy to come to Paul from Berea with all speed. Remember the command from Acts 17:15 when Paul came from Berea to Athens he sent back the command for them to come to him with all speed. Now, more about Timothy After completing his mission to Thessalonica, he returned to Paul and Silas at Corinth. We'll read 1 Thessalonians 3.6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love. So that's to the, the church at Thessalonica. So he's coming from them to Paul and Silas. And we know that because 1 Thessalonians was written from Corinth in about AD 51. So we're learning about their travels. However, Paul and Silas had not remained together the entire time that Timothy was gone to Thessalonica. Based upon today's text describing Paul's time in Corinth, we see this, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia. So Silas was, always, was also gone If we we think about it, it seems likely, if you use deduction, that Silas went to a city other than Thessalonica in Macedonia because he says they came from Macedonia. Thessalonica is in Macedonia. Given Paul's desire to encourage the churches that they had already visited, it seems likely Silas would have gone to Berea and or Philippi, one of those two cities in Macedonia. So the summary statement here, We think about the big picture. After Paul left Berea and went to Athens, and that's Acts 17, 15, Silas and Timothy ended up there with him, all three of them together. And that's 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. And then Timothy was sent to Thessalonica from Athens. And then Silas departed either from Athens or from Corinth. We don't know which. And went to a Macedonian city. Probably Berea or Philippi. Then Silas returned from Macedonia to Corinth. Before Timothy returned from Thessalonica. And we can learn a little little bit more about Silas. Because this is the last time we see Silas mentioned in the book of Acts. You recall his origin that we know from Acts. Is that he was coming from Jerusalem. You recall that. And so he had a... A known history of being a solid Christian man and Christian leader. And ancient histories report that he was one of the 70 mentioned in Luke chapter 10 verse 1. And that he ended up being the first bishop of the church at Corinth. So since no mention is made by Luke of Silas or Timothy being present with Paul at Athens. So in that section that we looked at. There's no mention of them during that time. It's most likely that Paul was alone during the Athens events recorded for us by Luke. And these events occurred either before Silas and Timothy arrived from Berea or after they had departed on their separate missions to Macedonia. So that's helpful to see the way they had decided to use the resources God gave to them to accomplish the mission that they were given. I want us to consider how this missionary team operated to best serve the new Christians and the new churches in Macedonia. I want us to consider that. Think about Paul. He was willing to minister alone in order to strengthen the newborn churches in Macedonia. So think about Paul choosing to be alone in Athens. It appears as though it's likely he... Traveled without them to Corinth. And he was in Corinth without them for a time. Consider Timothy. Young men especially. Consider Timothy. He was a young man. And listen now. He was found faithful. And entrusted with this very important work. As a young man. And he was also willing to be apart from Paul and Silas to do this work. We see, don't we? As a young man, Timothy. Showing faithfulness and courage to be entrusted with this work and to be willing to do it. Consider Silas also an older man. He was not only faithful, but also we can see he was fit enough physically as an older man to endure the work of needing to travel back to Macedonia and then from there back down to Achaia. And he also was willing to part from Paul and Timothy and to go on his own in order to strengthen these newborn churches and these new Christians, we have some things to learn from this, don't we? I think it uh, we can see at least these maxims set before us here, brothers and sisters. We may need to part from one another from time to time in order to achieve the goal that God has given to His people—to take the gospel of the kingdom to all the world, preaching in Christ repentance. And the forgiveness of sins. We know don't we. That this is especially true. To those who are called. To overseas missions work. And perhaps some of you may be called to that. But in either case. We need to prioritize. God's kingdom work. Over our own preferences. Next. It's a word to young men. And you know that includes. Even those of you who are maybe still Boys who are on your way to being young men? Think about this. Do not allow your youth to trick you into believing that it's okay to remain immature and unreliable. Be like Timothy. Look to him and see the level of maturity that can be worked into your life in a relatively short period of time. We know that his mom was a believer and that he likely grew up with Christian influence and he was a a noteworthy fellow, uh, when Paul picked him up at the very beginning of his second missionary journey. But they haven't been together for a very, very long time. But they've been through a lot together, haven't they? Walking through Phrygia and through that region to get to Troas, wandering, wondering. Apparently Timothy just faithful all the while. No evidence of him complaining, unlike what happened with John Mark. Being with them on the journey there all the way through Macedonia and down to Achaia. Proving himself faithful through all of those trials that they faced. Next, older men, please listen. Do not coddle the young men in your life. We do not see Paul or Silas coddling the young men in their lives. And I think this is something that we all need to learn, especially me. But we really need to give them standards And hold them to these things and point them down the path of Christian maturity with patience and diligence. Like it's very clear Paul and Silas did with Timothy. Encouraging them to see the power of God at work in their lives and to be like Christ today. Today, starting now. And to look to examples like Timothy daily. And what an encouragement. Wouldn't it be a great encouragement to see all the young men of our church all the young men of God's church rise up like Timothy. May God make us so. Next, I think it's easy to point out from this a word to older men, and it's to younger men as well, but we need to care for our bodies. We need to be intentional about the state of our physical health and consider these things. And we have so much to learn, don't we? Why? So you can be an influencer on TikTok, No, no, no. So you can find a wife? No, no. Now, young ladies, you do want to look for a man who cares for his body. But ultimately, men, this is for the service of Christ until we die by his grace, still with vigor on our deathbeds. So we want to be vigorous. We want to have vitality in our bodies until Jesus Christ takes us home. And I think this is an important thing for us to consider. I think there's been too much um, separation between the physical and the spiritual in our lives as Christians. So please consider these things. And I do see the Lord doing this in our midst. Uh, and, and the Lord has awakened me more to these, a lot more to these things lately, as, as you all know. What do we see happening next? Paul testifies to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. The text says, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. So it's not as if Paul took his hand off the plow, okay? But, you know, there comes a time at the end of each day where you have to get off the plow and go to sleep, right? So Paul has had some rest, but the Spirit says, okay, now it's time to get back. This word compelled here is constrained or pressed or controlled. And it's the same Greek word we've looked at multiple times where Paul describes himself as being, uh, as the love of Christ compelling us. That same word compelling, constraining, controlling. It is this internal glorious yoke that we take upon ourselves gladly because he is humble and gentle at heart. And he is the one who never takes his hand from the plow. And that way we we can count on his strength to hold on. So after Timothy and Silas have joined him, Paul, we see here, experiences a different kind of internal work of the Spirit than previously was happening in Corinth. It appears he is spurred on by the Holy Spirit at this time to now go back and resume the same kind of church planting measures that he had implemented in prior cities. The time of refreshing, refreshing, Hospitality and work with Aquila and Priscilla has come to an end. The time of reasoning with the Jews in the synagogue only on the Sabbath would now become daily testifying to them that Jesus is the Messiah with the associated call for immediate repentance, forgiveness, and obedience. Like he did in Athens. You see, the time of reasoning with them had come to a close. The time of calling for repentance Had come. And there's a distinction there. Between reasoning and testifying. He had come to the point. To where he was saying. You are commanded to repent. So we have much to learn from that. This idea of testifying. Is a charge. It's earnest. It has a religious charge to it. It's to attest to something. To solemnly affirm something. It's the kind of thing. That someone does before a court. And it is to confirm a thing by testimony. So Paul goes from reasoning. To testifying to them that Jesus is the Christ. Now how could he do this? Because he was an apostle. He saw the risen Messiah. And Paul now comes to it. Not only via scriptural proofs. But via his own personal testimony. That Jesus is the Christ. And he tells them this. He doesn't give them the option of debating this any longer. And he says, repent and follow him. He commands you to. Well, you know how the human heart responds to God's commandment to repent apart from the work of his Holy Spirit. This reminds us, doesn't it, of the process that Paul used in Athens. The reasoning with listening and humble exchanges there, didn't it, gave way to the call for immediate Repentance. In Acts 17.30, he says, Now commands all men everywhere to repent. Now calls all men everywhere to repent. So I think we can see from this that there's a process involved in evangelism. And you know, we have to have wisdom to discern where we are in the process. But there comes a time in evangelism when the call for repentance must be issued. We must come to the point And call for repentance. And when we do this. It needs to be accompanied by the truth. That This repentance is not given to them. As an invitation. Or as an option. They are commanded by the God. Who made them and gave them breath. To repent. To leave aside the kingdom of darkness. And to do so immediately. And to say to them. Now is the day of salvation. Now. Why is this important? Because. When we are preaching, we do not want to leave someone with the presumptuous notion that they have plenty of time to decide. I'm reminded of Martin Lloyd-Jones preaching during the war, a Sunday morning sermon, and he laid out sin and death and judgment, and he brought it to a point of tension, and he said, come back in the evening, and I will tell you how to be saved. And there were some in his congregation, he deeply grieved this, who were killed by bombs dropped on London that Sunday before they came back for worship that evening. So brothers and sisters, you do not know the time for the person standing before you. And if you're to be a faithful watchman like Paul was, like Ezekiel was, it must come to the call for repentance eventually. And I'm not saying that you have to rush to it, please don't. But there must come a time for that. And perhaps someone else is going to be giving the call to repentance. Maybe your job is, is going to be the planting and the watering. But perhaps God's going to call you to be the one that says, brother, you just need to, or friend, you just need to repent. So what happens next? Well, Paul, you know, he preaches the way that God calls him to preach. And the Jews respond and he forsakes them. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And as we see Paul over and over again, it's to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. Let's look at this idea that they opposed him. The King James Version helps us. It says, when they opposed themselves. It goes back to what we learned in Athens. Yes, they did oppose Paul and the gospel and God himself, but literally here, they contradicted themselves as they opposed Paul. So we need to note here what will happen. This will be something you will note. We see it all around us. Those who refuse to repent when presented with the gospel will often develop self-contradictory positions. And even when that is pointed out to them, when their irrationality is kindly laid out before them, they will not repent if they're going down this path. But rather, they will then leave off reasoning. They'll reject reasoning instead of trying to persuade you any longer with reason. And then they will go on to ad hominem, insults, and even unto violent attacks. So not only do they refuse to believe, But then they will go on with active attacks to stop the gospel and to harm you. Commentary says, Many of the Jews, and indeed the most of them, persisted in their contradiction to the gospel of Christ. They would not yield to the strongest reasonings nor the most winning persuasions. They opposed themselves and blasphemed. They set themselves in battle array, so the word signifies, against the gospel. They joined hand in hand to stop the progress of it. So we can see why Paul uses such strong language and takes such obvious strong steps at this point in time. What did they do? In addition, they blasphemed. This is to speak reproachfully towards someone, to rail at them, to revile them, to be spoken evil of. So their evil reviling words were directed at Paul and at the Gospel, yes, for sure, but also at God and at Christ Himself. Blasphemed, commentary says, they blasphemed Paul, miscalling of Him, but especially Christ, whose dishonor grieved Paul the most. We see Him shaking His garments. What, does this catch your attention? What does this mean? What is He doing? Well, He's giving them a physical representation, a literal representation. Of what he says to them as he does it. And it's linked to this idea of shaking the dust off his body. He's done it once before. We see it in the Gospels as well. And it is a warning of the coming judgment upon that specific location. Because of their blasphemy in that zip code if you will. Paul doesn't want any of the dust of that zip code on his clothing (coughs) Or on his shoes. And also it is to show that he has discharged his duty to the Jews in that city. Your blood be upon your own heads he says. As he shakes the dust off of his clothing. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. So he makes it as abundantly clear as possible. That he has no covenantal connection with them whatsoever. At this point in time. And he steps away from that land, and he doesn't want himself or the people around him to be caught up in the judgment that is going to come upon them. And he makes it abundantly clear that he's discharged his duty to them, and that he leaves them in their own situation. Of course, he's hopeful that some will be saved, and as we see, Crispus got the message. We don't know exactly when or or where, but he got the message. So, Paul here, we, we know clearly, is referencing the watchman principle from Ezekiel chapter 33. You know, brothers and sisters, as evangelists, uh, we as watchmen remain guilty of the blood of those around us until such time as we have discharged our duty to warn them of the coming judgment. Hope this mantle will rest upon you seriously as an ambassador of Christ. As we discussed in Athens, there are two opposing kingdoms. And there can be no reconciliation between them. And there is a coming judgment and destruction upon those who remain in rebellion against Christ and His glory. And we as His ambassadors need to receive this mantle that He gives to us to share these warnings with those who are outside of Christ. Now, we want to do this with great care and wisdom and love. Uh, We never rush into a conversation and just speak fire and brimstone into someone's life. We see Paul going through the process of love and reasoning and patience. We see him waiting until they revile him and blaspheme God before he goes to this point. Brothers and sisters, there, there does come a time for that and then you can know you've taken up the mantle that God has given to you. Calvin says, undoubtedly in that Paul by shaking his garments gave some token of detestation. It was no human or private indignation, but zeal kindled by God in his heart. Yea, God raised him up to be a preacher and setter forth of his vengeance. To the ends, the enemies of the word might know that they should not escape scot-free for their stubbornness. The sum is this, that God is sore displeased with the contempt of his word than with any wickedness, And surely men be quite past hope when they tread underfoot or drive from them the only remedy of all evils and maladies. Now as the Lord cannot abide rebellion against his word, so it ought to sting and nettle us, his people, full sore. My meaning is this, says Calvin, that when the wicked enter combat with God and, as it were, arm themselves to resist him, we are called, as it were, by the heavenly trumpet unto the conflict. Because there is nothing more filthy than that the wicked should mock God to his face whilst we say nothing. And that they should even break out into reproaches and blasphemies. Now, this is a difficult reality in today's world of DEI and political correctness. But brothers and sisters, hear the words of Calvin we are called, as it were, by the heavenly trumpet unto the conflict because there's nothing more filthy than that the wicked should mock God to His face whilst we say nothing. Let us stand for His glory everywhere we go. And with kindness and love, never let anyone insult our Savior in His glory. Amen? Next. We need to see that a time, make not next, but by way of summary, I want us to note, That a time may come for the evangelist to separate himself from the lost that he is seeking. You know, it says you go after the one. You leave the ninety-nine and you go. Right? You do that. But we see here that there comes a time where you might have to realize that that sheep is a biting goat. Or a wolf trying to eat your face. And and it's time to turn around and go back to the ninety-nine. If they refuse to repent, if they reject reason, if they embrace obviously self-contradictory positions, these are the clues you're getting. And then if they move into reviling you personally and enter into reviling God and His Son and His Gospel and mocking the salvation of our great God and stubbornly persisting in this, like we see, it is time to declare to them, that their judgment is upon their own heads and move upon, and then move on and not exercise any more of your efforts in that place. Now look, we need to be grieved by this though if this happens. And you see, so often we can get this thunder puppy mentality where we really do way more harm than good in this situation. Because Paul was justified to do what he did, but he would not have been justified to be angry and ugly towards them. There's no hint of that. He's just stating the plain facts. And we know from Romans 9 that he grieved deeply about the state of his countrymen, that he would have even had himself be cut off for them if he could. And this like, also should grieve any true servant of Christ if you ever have to go through this with someone. Next, God brings great kind providences into Paul's life, and this should encourage us. First, he stays with justice. The text says... He departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. There's some sweet things here. So he's not in the synagogue anymore. He can't go there to converse and have conversation. He's no longer focused on the Jews. He's blessed by the Lord to link up with this God-fearing Gentile who lives immediately next door to the synagogue. So praise be to God what the Lord provided for him there in Corinth. we'll know later. Paul didn't know then, but we know later that God was also protecting him at this point in time. Because you know in the past, the Jews would have already stirred the crowds up and had them beaten and you'd done all they could to run them out of town. This isn't happening. Commentary says, When the Jews would not let him go on peaceably with his work and their meeting, this honest man opened his doors to him and told him he should be welcome to preach there. And Paul accepted the proposal. So we need to see here, brothers and sisters, and, and recall God's kindness to us as we serve him. The Lord provides for his people who are seeking to do his will. He'll give us places to preach. He'll give us connections with people in the community to share the gospel with. We don't know how he did this. It's not entirely clear uh, how it happened. We don't know whether Paul moved to stay with justice instead of staying with Aquila and Priscilla. It looks that way. Or whether Paul just moved the primary day-to-day location of, go- of his gospel ministry. We don't know. So that's the first thing. Look what God did for Paul as he persisted in service. Persisted in his ministry. You know, he had been again thwarted by the Jews. And he, you have to think. He's remembering what's happened in every city he's been to and what's about to happen to him. What does he do? He keeps his hand to the plow. And he keeps his hand to the plow because he knows that the yoke of Christ is on his neck and his faithful Savior has his hands on the plow of the kingdom that he'll never let loose. And he's faithful. Well, we need to think that way too, don't we? You know, if we're not seeing the kind of gospel ministry success that we would hope for in our lives or in our surroundings, we should expect things like people to call us up on the phone and invite us to come preach the gospel to their apartment complex. We should expect things like this. We shouldn't be surprised like I was. We should expect these things to happen, brothers and sisters, and and long for them, and seek His face for these things. Well, there's fruit here. Crispus and many Corinthians believe the Gospel. The text says, Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So we see the same cycle over and over again, don't we? It's happening pretty fast for Paul. Paul. This cycle can be longer for us, but it's the same cycle. I want us to be encouraged as a small church swimming against the stream here in America. So you see here, at least one Jew heard Paul's message of Jesus. And not just any Jew. This man Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue and he heard and he heeded Paul's warning as he departed the synagogue to go to the Gentiles. Crispus would have seen the whole thing and take place. Think of it, not just him either. His entire household, believe, we're told. What a glorious conversion that would have been for Paul to see. The entire household of the leader of this group of people who were reviling him and blaspheming God, the Lord Jesus Christ saves him and brings him out of that and brings him to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know he was later, we know he was baptized by Paul. We see that in 1 Corinthians. What an encouragement for Paul. Now, you think that was a public baptism? I, we don't know where it took place, but we imagine it was probably at justice home, right? Don't you think those Christians of that time who believed would have been rejoicing when Paul stood there with the water and poured it on that man's head who formerly had been in the synagogue and he confessed his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? The Lord shall have his way. No heart can resist him when he comes commentary tells us it was for the honor of the gospel that there were some rulers and persons of the first rank both in church and state that embraced it this would leave the jews inexcusable that the ruler of their synagogue who may be supposed to have excelled the rest in knowledge of the scriptures and zeal for their religion that he believed the gospel and yet they opposed and blasphemed it and it is even more of a miracle is it not that god gave him safety for 18 months after that kind of success God gave him safety for 18 months to stay there and preach and teach and build up this little church. He didn't have to go away soon and be sending people back like he had to do with Thessalonica and probably Philippi. That's the best guess about where Silas went. We don't know. They get to stay there. They get to disciple them for 18 months. Think about that, how glorious that was. Now, we're going to see some sad realities too as we go on and see you know what he had to talk to them about later, and even though he's with them with, for eighteen months, and still these things were happening. You see that in the book of First and Second, the books of First and Second Corinthians. But it wasn't just one man; it wasn't just Crispus, and it wasn't just a few Corinthians. It was many Corinthians. We're told in the text who also heard the gospel and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as Messiah, as their Savior, as the one who died for their sins as the one who was resurrected from the dead and who now, for them, they understood, was reigning at God's right hand. And they had met his ambassador and they had rejected the kingdom of darkness and come into the kingdom of light. And they were baptized. So, you know, I would love, maybe in, his, maybe in future we'll get to see historical events. Have you ever wondered about that? I mean, imagine that baptism service there at Corinth. I don't know if it was all at once or if it was a string of baptisms. But are you happy when we have a baptism here? Don't we just rejoice in God's work when we baptize uh, children or adults or families? I mean, remember when the, David and Tatiani and all, all their kids got, I mean, that, is, that gets us as Christians, doesn't it? We rejoice in the victory of God. He's bringing this over the whole earth. So this is, Paul got to see this. You know, they're reviling him, they're blaspheming him. It looks dark, he's got his hand to the plow, maybe it's time to just give up. No, God encourages him. God encourages him. We should expect these tokens of grace from our Father in heaven, brothers and sisters. We should expect these tokens of grace. Because we all long to see souls saved and to see the Lord Jesus honored and glorified and see the kingdom of peace before our own eyes. But there's no guarantee that we will. But we can participate in the kingdom. we can be at peace in whatever God's doing and we can expect even in the darkest of days in the worst of cultures like ours tokens of grace from our father along the way whether it's in your own soul and where you see him slicing through those tethers of idolatry that you have to materialism or to people pleasing or to whatever other fears that you have he's sanctifying you and you see it and you rejoice or whether it's conversions Like Paul saw, he loves us. He has his eye upon us. He has not forgotten us. We should expect these things in our children's lives. We should expect these things in our church life. We should expect the fruitfulness of the blessings of God because he is with us and he is raining down his blessings upon us. Now, this is a great thing that happened. I want us to see how the Lord encourages Paul and that team even as though they were so terribly mistreated by the Jews and, you know, the threats are looming before their mind for sure. The Lord gives them a place to preach to the people. A place to preach to the people. The Lord gives to them. Gives the salvation of the leading Jew in that town and the beginnings of a great, a great, a great, great, great move of God in Corinth that will last 18 months and centuries to come. Commentary tells us, John Gill, these laid the foundation of a famous church in this place, which continued for many ages after. Silas, who was reckoned among the 70 disciples, is said to be the first bishop or pastor of it. The light has dawned upon those who sat in darkness. And that dark place to Corinthianize is transformed into a beacon of gospel light to the entire world. When you read through it, the bishops in the first century of Corinth, in the second century of Corinth, the third century of Corinth, the fourth century, the fifth century, the sixth century, the bishops of Corinth are mentioned over and over again in the writings of the great early church councils as faithful witnesses to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we long... For this little corner to be that kind of place 600 years from now? Do we? Mm -hmm. For the sake of Christ, for his name's sake, that Edgefield and beyond would be known in this little corner and all the churches in this place and every home. As places where the light of the gospel has come and Jesus is being worshipped and praised. So when when we face extreme resistance to the gospel, brothers and sisters, let us not lose heart.
1: Let us see with the eyes
0: of faith. Let's have Paul's eyes of faith. Think about what he saw. (laughs) Leaky pastor's at it again. (laughs) Thank you, brother. I'm sure the longing that we have for the glory of the gospel is nothing like what Paul felt. So let us not lose heart. Let us remember these things. And move ahead, hand to the plow, resting in the yoke that he has placed upon us because he is humble and gentle and lowly in heart and that his hand will never leave the plow and his power is in us and through us expecting along the way the Lord to provide modern day justice and crispness for us as we go along with many other converts as well amen all right so a couple quick things to summarize you've heard them already I'm going to say them again Brothers and sisters, is your hand to the plow? You know, we learned this morning, we learned this morning about the Red Sea, right? And God's great work to part the Red Sea and they went through on dry land and destroyed the whole Egyptian army. I heard someone say recently, I can't remember who told me this, maybe it was somebody here. Don't you see how God also blessed them by making sure that Red Sea closed behind them so they couldn't run straight back to Egypt? All right, so is your hand to the plow and are you looking forward to what God is going to do in your life? With an eye towards His love and His power, though our feet may be caught in the snares, we will fix our eyes on Him because He's the one who will deliver us. Next, young men. Young men, I'll say it again. Please do not allow your youth to be an excuse for immaturity, unreliability, self-indulgence. It is time to wake up and be in the battle. A joyful soldier for Christ. Older men, will we be like Silas and Paul? Will we learn how to disciple the younger men in our lives instead of coddling their flesh? And younger men, will you receive it? Will you receive it if the older men in your life say, hey look, there's some self-indulgence I still see here in your life. Because Silas and Paul didn't leave room for that for Timothy. There was no time for him to you know, mourn and, and like, the young? No, he's young, strong. He, they pressed him forward and he took it up. In love for Christ. So will we be wise in this way, older men? And will we be fit? Will we continue to be fit in our, in our, in our older days? And younger men, this is for you too, but especially for us older men. I have not done this, but it's not too late. And anyone listening to this, please value your body as a temple of the Lord Jesus Christ to honor Him and glorify Him and for practical reasons so that you can serve Him with vigor, with vitality to the very end. Next. Is your spirit compelled by God? By the love of Christ? We've asked this question before. Or or is your heart tethered to other things that you love more, whether it's materialism or a dream that you have uh, or uh, whether it's entertainment, whatever it might be. Because this this is what's going on here. It's idolatry in our hearts that needs to be sliced through. Would you pray that? God, reveal to me if there's anything that I don't see. Idols in my heart. Things that I'm tethered to that need to just be sliced away. And then you'll find the love of Christ and this kind of experience that Paul had that made him grip that plow even tighter with greater gladness next do you know how to be wise in evangelism and do you see the mantle of the duty that you're given to warn those about the judgment to come there's this process right you go through introductions you get to know people but are you there because so they'll like you Are you there because so you have a great reputation? Are you there because so it'll be profitable for your business? Are you there because so you'll get promoted? Or are you there because so they can know Jesus? Right? That is our top priority as Christians everywhere we go. And so, yeah, we're going to be excellent in our work. We're going to be on time. We want to have a good reputation. We want to get promoted. Of course, it's great to prosper, and we want to see that for God's people. All those are good things, but those things can become your idols, and perhaps those are some of the things that need to be severed so that we walk into each situation first and foremost for the glory of the name of Christ. And that's why we're there. And that is, that's what it means to have goodwill towards men. Is you show up in every situation because you want this person to know the Lord Jesus better. And you, you wanna try to do your best to help them know the Lord Jesus better. And in that process, you'll see the reasoning and the exchanging. Maybe you'll have that opportunity. Or maybe you might bump into someone who's been reasoned with and they're reviling and blaspheming God and you might have the need to say wow um, you've been warned and to not engage with them, not be with them to shake the dirt off of your clothing and depart from fellowship with them yes we are to become all things to all men so that somehow we may save a few like Paul says when he wrote to the church of Corinth but that doesn't change the reality of what happens here You have to see there's processes involved. There's wisdom and discernment involved. You know this when you bump into an irrational reviler. Okay? And I think that's a good way of describing many of the videos that we see on uh, whatever you're looking at these days. You know, dressed as they're dressed, with their rainbow flags, and so many tattoos and holes in their bodies and appearances that are so grotesque, standing there with their megaphones, blasting into people's face the the blasphemous words against Christ and His ways and His law. And there just comes a time where you just have to move on, right? We certainly want to try that. We don't do it with gladness, as we've said. We grieve over every lost soul like that that we encounter. And finally, brothers and sisters, in closing, are you hopefully expecting kind providences and gospel successes? Right? Because, you know, guess what? If you are thinking that every single person you talk to is going to reject the Lord Jesus Christ and reject the gospel and revile you and, and blaspheme God, you think you're going to keep sharing the gospel with people? No. See, the Lord gives these expectations to us to encourage us to know. It's like painting for gold right? Or, or fishing. You know, I've been on some boring fishing trips. You're not going to believe this. But I caught like 120 fish in, in like two hours. And it was like by the time it was old, it was like, ah, oh, I'm done with this. Now, not really. Of course, it was wonderful. But you see my point, there's that, that, that expectation that's not met, and then it's not met, and then it's not met, and then boom, you get that strike. And we are fishers of men. And we have to keep casting. Right? We are God's farmers. We have to keep plowing, casting seeds. And we should expect to see along the way that not every seed is going to be carried off by the devil. And not every seed is going to spring up and then be uh, beaten down by thorns or by heat. But that some seeds will spring up to everlasting life. So we should have hopeful expectation for what God will do as we continue to be faithful to him. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, please bless us, we ask, to have faith like Paul and wisdom uh, like Paul. Lord, please bless our young men to have faith and uh, courage like Timothy, wisdom like Timothy. Lord, please help us, we pray, to believe you, to trust you, and to, by your grace and strength, persevere in daily service to you, with an evangelical heart and a desire to see the lost saved and your kingdom expanded and the glory of Christ revealed and extolled here in our area. And this church and every church here in our region, burgeoning and overflowing with the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.